Hello, hello, hello. You know, today I am winging it solo. Welcome to my episode, Goatees, of um, our LDR series. And I'm always a little insecure without Prisca because seriously, whenever I talk by myself, I always get super in my head and uh, I'm just bantering with myself. So it's definitely something that I'm weaker at in terms of my skill set. Um, but that being said, how many of you were moved so much by Prisca's episode last week? I mean, tears everywhere. I started listening to it on a drive back home and I just couldn't stop crying. It's probably one of the most intimate, vulnerable um, episodes I've ever heard on a podcast. And I'm not just being biased because she's my co-host on Two Horny Goats. No, no, no. This is just, um, you know, my complete admiration. I'm always so inspired by Priscilla. And um, I'm always a little nervous about these solo series because they really force you to open up in a way that is very different than me and her hosting a show together. So I'm going to take you all on a journey with uh, from Little Roxy all the way to present me. Vignettes of my life, especially my personal relationship with distance. And in this case, it is my parents. Most of you know that I am a third culture kid, which means I was born in a country that is not of my uh, ethnic origin. And then I moved to another place after that that is not my ethnic origin. So for me, I, I was born in the Netherlands. My parents and I immigrated to the United States when I was about six or seven. And when I turned 18, just as I finished high school, my parents made the intentional choice to move back to Taiwan. So it's been about 17 years since then. So I spent half of my life living independently. And, you know, I think having a long distance relationship, especially internationally, where you know, you're sort of separated by an ocean, major time zones, major cultures. It is a little bit different. And I think my relationship with distance has always been one that's like codependent <laughs> in a way. Like I wasn't afraid of distance because I was so used to it my whole life. I wasn't afraid of transitioning because I was used to it my whole life. It was hard for me to form genuine connections because all I thought was I'm just going to leave. But as life changes and as you get older, you start to realize that time moves a lot faster than you think and people get a lot older than you realize. And I always wonder, is there ever enough time, you know? So I know many of you share that sentiment with me and I just want to take you back through my journey of how I experienced long distance love through the eyes of myself when I was a little kid all the way through how it changes and how it translates now to me as an adult um, at the age of 35 and what my relationship with my parents currently is, um, despite our physical distance. So strap in and get ready, all right? So we're going back in time. We're going back all the way to 1991 when little toddler Roxy was just wobbling in her little steps in um, the Netherlands in a cute little town called Rotterdam. I remember struggling pushing off on the seesaw in this particularly small playground that was just around the corner of my neighborhood. My mom would take me in a stroller and she would walk me there. Um, and on this little side by this little stream, this was also the place where I took my first walk. And I would always run to this tiny little playground. There was one little seesaw 
um, and then one slide <laughs> and one set of stairs. That was it. And I remembered a seesaw requires, you know, two people for it to actually work. But I would always run and I would sit on it and I would just keep trying to push off the ground. And I could barely get a second of being in the air before gravity just sucked me back down. I was aggravated because I wanted to play by myself. And um, there wasn't anybody else, no other kid around. And my mom would always come in and, uh, you know, sit on the other side and play with me so that I'm able to actually lift off the ground, feel the giggles bubbling through my body as I scream with elation, finally weightless in the air, understanding what it meant to fly. Playing alone was never a foreign thing for me. It came with the territory of being an only child. And I remembered a beautiful childhood, just full of adoration and the constant attention of an adoring mother who, on her own, was struggling to make sense and merge into this new world around her. I think we've only been there for about three years, and my dad was always at work. But I would remember moments when he would come home late, exhausted. I would try to get him to play, but all he wanted to do was to eat and go to bed. My mom would fix him a simple dinner of soup and dumplings, or maybe sometimes it's zongzi, or maybe sometimes it's suosu. And my mom would take me out to the market during the day. We would eat fried fish in the car, and the ladies at the deli would always give me a slice of ham to snack on while I was in my stroller. Life was good. This was just the way that life was supposed to be, you know, just your... Typical nuclear family, dad goes to work, sometimes overworks, and then on the weekends you get to play with dad, and then mom is just my always constant. We were best friends, Uh, she would play with me all the time, and you know, if I get to make friends with other little kids, she'll always be there watching over me. Life was good. I have such fond memories of my time in the Netherlands, because it felt so innocent. It was just me my mom, and sometimes my dad, you know, against the world. I didn't really know what was going to change in my life later on. In fact, everything was going to change. I had no idea that my parents were planning on packing everything up, saying goodbye to the Netherlands, and starting a whole new life in the U.S. 1997, Plainsboro, New Jersey. Dad got a new job. And with this job, it requires that he take a lot of business trips. And he used to take business trips, but this job requires him to do it a lot more than he was used to. He was gone for a long time, months even. I remember the longest that he was away was three months. My mom dealt with everything the best she could. I had no concept that, once again, she moved to a completely new country with absolutely zero friends and zero support system. And I would just remember her cutting coupons, you know, at the kitchen table, trying to figure out how to manage her money, trying to find out how to manage me the best she could without my father around. I remembered I would struggle with homework. I would struggle with learning English. I was in ESL in second grade. And whenever I didn't know how to do my homework, my mom would try to help me out. She was still trying to learn English, and I just remember us repeating T-H-E, the, 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 over and over and over again, just trying to familiarize our tongues in this new language, trying to make it work within our mouths so that people could understand us. 
It felt like the safety video of an airplane where they showed the parent putting their own mask on before helping the kid. I mean, like, I don't know how my mom was able to grasp the concept of English before she's able to teach me. But I honestly, looking at those videos, I'm always wondering, like, how is everybody staying so calm? Like, they're always smiling. They're always pretending that everything is okay. But like, literally, the plane is crashing, right? So I always felt that my mom was always smiling as she put the mask on herself before she helped me. I mean, that must have felt like that, you know, coming to a brand new country with brand new set of challenges, dealing with a kid that's like coming into their own and them learning how to talk back, like sometimes in Mandarin, sometimes in Dutch, let alone a new language. That must have been really, really, really hard. It may not be as dramatic as that, but in a way, my mother must have felt that she had to navigate all of this cross-cultural transitioning on her own in my more formidable years. And it's hard not to hyper-focus on and to think about as I reflect back. I remembered that we would try to save up enough money to go home to Taiwan to visit my extended family. And there was one particular trip where, you know, Dad was gone for a while. He was gone for a while while we were in New Jersey, and um, my mom was like, hey, we're going to go back to Taiwan, but Dad is just going to meet us there because he actually hasn't He wasn't able to come back to the States to see us on this extended business trip. He actually ended up having to have an apartment unit in this town called Taizong, which is actually where my family lives now. And my family on both sides was originally from this little town in Tainan. And Tainan is in the south, and Taizong is literally in the middle. Zong means center, so (laughs) it's like the center of Taiwan. And I remembered going to visit my dad in this apartment unit and it felt so strange that my dad was long away enough to not stay in a hotel but to actually need to get a place of his own but of course my education and future was at stake so my tiny family needed to do this the whole reason why they decided to go to the states was because of me And we all needed to endure the separation for the good of my future. I didn't understand this at the time, but I understand now that that was what they were working together to sacrifice being together for, you know? My mom needed to be further away from her home and environment in order for this dream to happen. And my dad needed to be separated from us, doing whatever business trips he had to do in order to make this future of mine work. Everybody just did it, just needed to do what they needed to do. Everybody just had their roles. I didn't have a concept of it at all, but it felt like my parents both felt that this was the way that our lives needed to be in order for my life to be easier in the future. These extended trips over time um, became more common, and uh, you know we actually got used to it. It got to a point where whenever my dad had to leave for a trip, it wasn't such a big deal. I've never seen my mom cry about it. I've never seen her broken about it. I've never seen her, you know, really letting me see how much it challenged her. She was always so resilient, like iron sometimes. I can actually barely count the amount of times I saw her cry on one hand before the age of 12. She always held it together, talked about how hard dad was working for all of us, encouraged me to talk to my father on these long-distance call when we were able to catch him over the time difference. She was actually quite pushy about that. She insisted that whenever we're able to talk on the phone that I talk to him. 
but it had to be done quickly because we ran out of money on the international phone card. So like back in the day before FaceTime and technology evolved to this state, um, you know, we actually had to purchase international phone cards and you could get them at like the 99 Ranch or, you know, any sort of those international markets where people can purchase them, make collect calls home. And uh, whenever I pick up my phone to talk to my dad, it always just felt so, it would always feel so false and they would always feel so far away. And at that time, I'm just like, what is is there to talk about besides, hey, dad, I miss you. Hope you're well. Come back soon. At that young age. I was often tired, didn't know what to say. And I usually didn't want to talk to my dad because I wanted to go and play with my friends, you know, in the neighborhood I wanted to go to Anita's house. I wanted to go to Sheffy's house and Amanda's house. Like, I, I didn't want to have to work through all this. It all just seemed annoying and pointless. But my mom and I leaned on each other a lot. She and I were basically extensions of each other. But inside, I felt that she was preparing me for the inevitable. She was always trying to teach me in her own way the importance of communication over long distances. I always see her calling her mom, my grandma, and whoever she can budget from the phone card plan on a week's basis. Maybe this week she could catch up with Auntie Melissa for a few minutes, and the following week she can have enough budget to check on my other grandmother, her mother-in-law. My mom always made the effort, although she would disguise it as her way of taking care of others. I know now that it was a grounding practice for her. To always have a voice from home. When we actually miss people and they don't pick up the calls, you know, uh, back then there were landlines and voice machines. So, you know, people are actually harder to reach if they don't pick up the phones. We probably can't catch them again until days later. Communication was much more scattered and slow. Thinking of it now, I never realized how hard that was in comparison to where we are today. It is radically different now and something that I realize I take for granted. If I didn't have what we have today with FaceTime, emails, text messaging, I felt like all of that would be a lot more challenging, and I really have to commend my parents for that, because it's not so easy. It's just almost felt like writing letters to someone in the war. (laughs) That's dramatic. Anyways, 1999. I was in fifth grade when my paternal grandmother died. She was a beautiful, graceful, warm lady. She came to visit us in the Netherlands with my other grandmother when I was a baby. And when she came to see us in New Jersey, she had major complications with her health. She actually had a lot of hospital visits when she was here. I remembered in the middle of the night, um, my parents got up and um, she was also awake, struggling to get up. They called the ambulance for her, and uh, I just still remember her trying to stand and them lifting her up, her feet, trying to find the slippers, and my parents being like, don't worry, don't worry about that, don't worry about the slippers. I remember seeing her in the hospital, so weak, barely having the ability to chew her food. Eventually, she went back to Taiwan, but she passed shortly after that. My parents were in the States when they found out. They kept it quiet for me. They told us, they told me that we're going to go see Grandma because she's not doing well. But she already passed away. I didn't realize until 
we landed in Taiwan. And the next day we went to her funeral. I never saw my father so broken. I can't imagine all the emotions that must have been coursing through him. So much happens in grief, but more than anything, the guilt of distance, the guilt of not being there, the guilt of not doing enough if you're not within arm's reach. This feeling has followed me into my adult years, and I understand that this is something we all struggle with when we have left home to discover who we are. So we're moving into the year 2006, and this year is really quite significant um, because it is the year that my parents leave. And uh, Goatees, you may be wondering why I'm sort of switching my perspective here. It's intentional. Uh, The previous years were all about me reflecting and observing my parents um, as they navigate long distance, but now I am the one who's going to be stepping to those shoes to experience it firsthand. So if you're wondering about the shift of perspective, it is intentional. Okay, now where were we? Oh yes, the year 2006. I'm graduating from high school this year. My parents have made the decision to move back to Taiwan to be with their families. I wanted to act like I was okay about it. I mean, sure. I mean, your entire family, and then there's just me, right? (laughs) And to be fair, um, I think they were all missing home a lot. And they've committed enough of their time in foreign lands. And now, my destiny is up to me. I mean, I was off to college anyway, so it really wouldn't feel any different, right? So many people go through this. I mean, I've been on the go my whole life. This should just be another cakewalk. And the only time I can really see them is if I have a significant break. But just like everyone else, you know, how different is this from somebody who is going to school in Southern California and their family's in Portland? How different is this that, like, I'm here and, like, somebody else is, you know, or, you know, an Italian person, like, studying abroad? Like, it's not any different. I'm not special. Like, this is just what everybody has to go through. I'm a full-fledged adult. I don't need anyone to take care of me anymore. I need to learn how to be fully independent. But there were times, you know, when I felt stressed about exams or I wanted to run home or I wanted to drive home. I didn't want to stay at the dorms. I want to talk about someone I liked. I want to learn how to cook something. I want to know how to properly separate my laundry with this laundry machine that I'm so not familiar with at school. And the only way I could, you know, was um, through the wonderful invention of Skype. Like, literally, guys, when Skype came around, do you remember how groundbreaking that was? It was either that or I had to purchase one of those damn phone cards, which I did for a while. and They fucking sucked. I always lost them all the time. So it would just be like $20 down the drain. But, um, you know, basically you had to input a collect number and then dial in the country with the phone number after that. And then back then... You just have to cross your fingers that, like, your parents would pick up the phone. If you think FaceTime is bad with, like, bad connection because of weather or internet or whatever, consider seeing your mom's face in the lowest resolution. I mean, like, pixelated quality. Like, no wonder she thought I had really clear skin when I was on Skype with her because the fluorescent lighting from my IKEA lamp at the time, the low pixelation just made me look like a hard-boiled egg on screen. So, you know, everybody looked like a washed-out, like, I don't know, Canto Pop Superstar, like back when we had Skype. Oh, man. I kept myself so busy to not think about it. 
I made myself, you know, participate in all these clubs. I joined a dance team. I always made sure that I had made a lot of friends so that like my holidays wouldn't sit empty. I had somewhere to go for Thanksgiving. I had somewhere to go for Christmas. Oh, Roxy, that's so sad. Why aren't you going home? Where's home? Uh, home is all the way across the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, you know, sometimes I did go home. And um, some other times, you know, when there were breaks and stuff, I would just find a way to cope with my isolation and my sense of being alone. Um, those shorter, you know, spring breaks and stuff. That was really hard. I remember spending my first Christmas alone when I was in college. And that feeling was devastating. I didn't have the practice or understand the wisdom of being alone at the time. All I felt was... I didn't want to say that I felt abandoned because that's not what happened. It's just, in my heart, I just thought... When will I ever feel truly settled? I've been on my feet, going to places, starting over again, constantly my entire life. When will I actually plant roots to start somewhere? Or will I ever have the courage and ability to do that? Is this who I am? Just somebody who just moves somewhere and start all over? Was I always born with wings on my feet? 2009. I'm studying abroad at Cambridge this year. I'm a modern, radical, well-traveled young woman. The world is my oyster. I have plenty of friends, plenty of lovers. Anything is possible. I could go anywhere. A couple friends and I are going to Paris this weekend. My parents are in Taiwan, and I'm going to visit them straight after my summer program. My family is just different from everybody else's. We have a really cool origin story. We're tougher, and we're not afraid of distance. I'm a jet-setter baby. That's just naturally who I am. 2011. I'm a fucking mess this year. I have no idea where I'm going. I just graduated UC Irvine, and some of my friends are going home, moving back with their families as they figure out what to do next with their lives. Others have applied and gotten into a master's program, so that's what they're doing next. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. Do I go to L.A.? Do I even think to pursue filmmaking? Should I get a master's first? Ugh, I don't like school. My mom says I could move to Taiwan, but I don't really have an identity there. Will it just be like when I move back, I'm just back to being my 16-year-old self? Where would all of the efforts go after all of this time away from that island? Everything my parents sacrificed for is all of the separation that they've been training me for nothing. I just don't know what to do next. This is the first time in my life where I feel truly, truly lost. Or maybe I'll just avoid my issues and adopt a dog. 2020. The world has shut down. The past couple of years have been great. My parents and I have found a rhythm in our communication and in our distance. There is this magical invention through Apple iPhones called FaceTime 
where you don't have to buy a phone card anymore and you don't have to deal with Skype's really shitty resolution qualities. And, you know, I've been doing well in my career. I struggled, and uh, but I've hustled and made connections and found community and really carved out a space for myself in this place, in this home that I now call Los Angeles. Every year, I would hustle my ass off. I would work really, really, really hard. I would save some money, and I would buy a plane ticket to go home to see them for a couple of weeks. I'll try to stay for at least three weeks just to accommodate for all the time difference and the jet lag and the quality time. And it's always fraught with the same old things when it comes to family. The conflict between your old self and your new self, how much you change, how much you stay the same, how reluctant or pushy we may be for one version or the other, the expectations of the other person. You've changed. You've gotten fatter. You've gotten skinnier. Take care of your health. Despite the challenges and despite the fights <laughs> and despite the awkwardness, Every parting leaves me in tears as I sit on the silent cab ride back to the airport every time I leave. And now, this is the first year I'm not seeing them. It's probably for the best. There's just too much unknown right now. We don't know what the virus is. And uh, we're just going to take it one step at a time. And we're just going to take it one step at a time. Maybe. I could see them next year. Maybe in 2021, the virus will have gone away and we could just pick up things where we left off. And I won't miss a thing. Time with my parents is already so precious and I'm not going to lose out on that. 2023. It's been three years since I've seen my parents after the world shut down. We've all gone through trauma, yeah, I felt mine significantly more. Taiwan didn't shut down the entire time due to enforced measures. And, uh, well, America, you know what we went through. Through this pandemic, I felt a traumatic shift within myself. I've become more grounded, more self-aware, even, dare I say it, more withdrawn. The extroverted, crazy-ass Roxy has uh, diluted down into this <laughs> slower but more mature version of self. It's a giant departure from who I used to be. And today, sometimes I still shock myself looking into the mirror. This is a woman who doesn't take any bullying, who refuses to feel childlike and refuses to stay in situations that feel awkward or uncomfortable to her. So why do I feel this intensity and this the sense of grief before I go back to see my family? Why do I feel this part of myself dying? This was such a big part of me when I used to see my parents. I'm used to being infantilized. But why do I feel responsible for keeping that hurt child alive? The one that had to carry resilience, cross-cultural trauma from such a young age without showing it. The one that craved physical and emotional tension that has gently been guided out in these later years, everything I learned about myself. I no longer see myself through their eyes because I now I see myself through my own. And that in itself is empowering and devastating. When I laid eyes on my parents for the first time after those three years, 
There were more beautiful wrinkles in their eyes. My dad is now adopting a full head of confident gray hair. He is going full silver fox. And my parents are still in great shape, and that I'm grateful for. But I'm also paranoid. The state of the world constantly feels under attack. And what if I'm not here if that happens? What if I don't travel fast enough? What if they don't travel fast enough? The quickest I can get to them is still 24 hours. These worries are not foreign to anyone. But as those thoughts have set in over the pandemic, I feel like a different person trying to be intentional in every moment. But it could come off strange or overbearing. Being joyful as a constant state can be a far cry from that emo teen they were so used to. My room in our Taiwan home is a guest room, since I never lived or laid roots in that home. Sometimes I feel desperate to lash out to have them understand, eager to heal them when I forget that I too am always in a state of healing. And learning that the best way I can move forward is to lovingly accept them, their choices, and their independence as they move into their older years. To always be available to listen to their thoughts when they want to share, and to respect their space when they ask for it. We really do start to flip as we get older. Our parents took care of us, and now we're always thinking of whether or not we do enough for them as we move older. But it's a perfect balancing act of honoring and accepting who they are, and not asking them to change or apologize, and at the same time, not beating ourselves up about it either. Not being hard on ourselves and saying that we're not doing enough, that we should do more, etc., 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 but rather move like water in this river of life. To love fully whenever we're with them, remote or in person. Whenever I express sadness that I'm leaving, my mom assures me that we talk all the time. There should be no guilt that I hold in my heart. Because the happiest they can be is when I'm off, happy, and thriving in life. They are still a part of it, just a little farther away. Time moves so quickly. In a blink of an eye, I'm 35. When I can still remember the days of when I'm 21, or even when I'm 16, like it was yesterday. Distance doesn't matter in the long run. Only our hearts do. Honestly, I was so nervous to do this episode because it's such a huge topic for me and it spans such a large part of my life, but I'm just so glad that Prisca has encouraged me and challenged me to do this. Um, it's always been really eye-opening when you reflect back on your life like this. There are new things that I've uncovered throughout this episode that I didn't really think to explore uh, new pockets of memories that definitely made me reflect differently about my parents and who they are and the challenges that they faced. Um, you know, I think for most of my life, I just accepted that this was normal, that this was just life is that I'm like more privileged than others. But hearing back and listening to it, I just really realized, you know, how precious and how hardworking and how thoughtful and loving they are and how much I've gone through as well in order to navigate all of this, um, that we are the products of our experiences, right? And 
that every single change, every opportunity they gave me in order to um, sort of experience this long distance love with them has really made me who I am today. And I am super, super, super grateful for that. I was even um, hanging out with Tun from um, Bamboo and Glass, which is another amazing podcast. If y'all haven't listened to them already, they are just so amazing. And um, Tun, you know, she also has her family living in Korea ever since she was 18. And we really bonded over that when we were able to go have dinner a few weeks ago. And it just made me realize, like, wow, like, I'm not the only one. You know, growing up, you may feel that your experience is so singular that maybe those around you don't share the same type of struggles or had the same experiences that you have in terms of your cultural foundation or your familial foundation or the type of family culture that you have. But in a way, as I begin to be more open and vulnerable in sharing my experiences, it really touches me and Prisca when all of you write to us and um, let us know how our vulnerability impacts you and empowers you to also share with others as well. The most important thing we can do is to share our stories. And, you know, this podcast, as always, you know, Prisca and I say it all the time, but sincerely, it is a gift. And this topic at first, I was like, oh, I think it's fine. Like, you know, me and my parents are great, like long distance, blah, blah, blah. We've been doing it our whole life. But, um, you know, I think taking the time to even talk about it out loud really gives it the space and uh, the credibility and that and the efforts that me and my parents have put into this um, family unit, you know, whether it's together or not. And there are so many stories, so many immigrants, so many loved ones who are working, you know, out of the country, sending money back to their loved ones and like trying to support each other, but also pursuing their dreams. And that's like the beauty of, um, the human experience and the beauty of us pursuing our dreams while also staying connected to the roots that we have to nourish. So that being said, um, here is my extremely uh, selfish, not selfish, but also daily plea to all of your goatees and to all of you listening, whether you're a new listener or a seasoned listener, if you like what you're hearing, of course, make sure that you support me and Prisca by going to twohornyghosts.com and clicking on the donate button. Uh, this way we can continue to cut open our hearts and souls and bleed out and share stories with you guys like this. No, but I'm sincere. Like, uh, you know, whether you donate or not, that like doesn't matter but most importantly if you resonate with this episode if you resonate with Prisca's previous episode please write to us let us know what are your experiences in experiencing long distance love we would love to hear it um, let us know if you would like to, us to share it on the podcast we're always more than happy to um, we're always so 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 grateful for each and every single one of you um, and you know Prisca and I will be coming back next week with one more episode before we take our mid-season break. And it's an episode that I'm personally very excited about because one of my favorite topics is accountability. And look, it's not it's probably like not a very sexy like corporate word but look you're gonna want to tune into this epi all right because i also spill the beans on it as well. Um thank you Gotis for being here for giving me the space to share and uh, for giving us the space to share. We are so, so, so grateful for each and every single one of you. I'm going to play 
the rest of this epi out with this beautiful which Abe created for my dad's episode a few seasons back but I just feel like it's incredibly meaningful because that song is always a song that I connect to regarding home and regarding Taiwan and there really is no better way to convey that um, I love all of you goatees have a super horny week um, and yeah stay horny love you